Hello and welcome to another episode of But Have You Heard About? I am your host, Courtney. I know it's been a hot minute or two, maybe five, seven, whatever it may be, but I'm here. So that's cool. I figured I would tackle a topic that I have been asked to talk about on the YouTube. You can always request or give me hints, suggestions, or just, you know, complaints or whatever um, about topics. And I'd be more than happy to eventually get around to it, um, especially now that, you know, life is a little less COVID-y and I have less free time because now I want to hang out with people which is just, you know, a personal thing. Anyways, so today we are going to talk about the Uyghurs, or depending on how you want to pronounce them. Um, so I want to talk about the Uyghurs, especially with what's kind of been going on in China and the fact that this is kind of going to be an ongoing series when it talks about religion and even the absence of state religion and how it impacts society as well as that nation. As we know, China is massive. and China has 55 recognized minorities. One of them is the Uyghurs. They are located, and again, I'm going to go ahead and just be completely honest. This is not going to be the best episode when it comes to pronunciations. Please don't use my pronunciations as gospel, because it's definitely not. So the Uyghurs, they are ethnically Turkish, or they are kind of Turks. So if you're looking at China, the area that is the and again, this is going to be horrible and I'm going to cry. Xinjiang, the Xinjiang province is northwest area of China. And it's huge. One of the things that the Uyghurs have traditionally done is inhabit oases that are scattered across the desert in that area. And within the Terran Basin, these oases have historically existed as independent states or controlled by many civilizations. Most recently is China. There's the Mongols, the Tibetans, and obviously the Turks. They also have a lot of natural resources in that area, which makes it a prime place to want to have. Also, the climate is not horrible. I mean, even though it is a desert, those oases where notoriously been is kind of, you know, not a bad place to be. So as I mentioned, their ethnicity, they are mostly Turks. And giving that background history, you know, they're one of the 55 minorities that make up China. The fact that China has 55 minorities, recognized minorities, kind of blows my mind. I don't know if that blows anybody else's mind. Also, the majority of the Uyghurs that do live in China, 80% of them still live in the Tarim Basin. So if they, you know, are Chinese citizens, which the majority of Uyghurs are about 12.8 million of the 13.5 total world population lives in China. They have, you know, scattered throughout other parts of China as well. You know, their culture is very rich and it's going to be quite different than the Han Dynasty descendants of the Chinese, of the majority of the Chinese people. So starting in around the 10th century, the Uyghurs themselves became Islamicized. Um, basically, they started converting to being Muslims, and a lot of them identify as being Muslims by the 16th century. So by the 1500s, they consider themselves to be a mostly Islamic country or Islamic population, most of them practicing. And it has played in a huge, important role in their culture and identity. This is very important because when you think of China, we, ne we don't necessarily think of them having you know, these minorities having their own separate and different identities um, without it kind of being crushed. I mean, you know, ever since I would say post-World War II in China, it's just kind of been 
you know, everything needs to be more assimilated there, which is probably not the um best thing going on, especially for the Uyghurs and the other minorities. And we're going to talk more about religion's part in China and what's going on there now and how we got to that, you know, how we got to where we're at um, as a society when it comes to China. We being how China and the Uyghurs got to where they're at, not me personally. So when it comes to like the actual history of the Uyghurs, there's a lot of contention. That's a nice word to say. There's a lot of contention between those that are Uyghur nationalists, as well as China and the Chinese authorities and how they want the people of Uyghur descent that live in that region to feel about their history. Uyghur historians view the Uyghurs as the original inhabitants of the Xinjiang area and that they have a long history. It's not like they just magically appeared out of nowhere. I mean, as I've mentioned, they are definitely of Turkish descent and the Turks have a 9,000 year history. And there's actually a historian. I'm going to butcher their name. So, you know, again, living our best lives over here. Turgrim Almas discovered mummies in the area that the Uyghurs have always inhabited, and that proved that they had been there for about 6,400 years. And the World Uyghur Congress claimed a 4,000-year history in East Turkestan. So the contention coming from the Chinese view is that the Uyghurs in Xinjiang originated from the Tili tribes and became the main social and political force in that area only during the 9th century when they migrated to that area from Mongolia after the collapse of the Uyghur Kagante, replacing the Han Chinese, who they claimed had been there since the Han Dynasty. Again, this is setting up a lot of contention, a lot of tension in the region, right? Many contemporary Western scholars, however, do not consider the modern Uyghurs to be of direct linear descent from the old Uyghur Kaganites of Mongolia. Rather, they consider them to be descendants of a number of people, one of them the ancient Uyghurs. So let's do a little skipping around because, you know, it's me. And I'm known to do that. So we're going to fast forward to the earliest 20th century because up until 1912, the Qing dynasty had control over that, the area the Uyghurs are um, currently in. However, in 1912, the Qing dynasty was replaced by the Republic of China. The Uyghurs staged several uprisings against Chinese rule. In 1931, the Kumul Rebellion erupted, leading to the establishment of an independent government in 1932 which later led to the creation of the first East Turkestan Republic, officially known as the Turkish Islamic Republic of East Turkestan. Uyghurs joined together with Uzbeks, Kazakhs, and Kyrgyz and successfully declared their independence on November 12, 1933. The first East Turkestan Republic was short-lived attempt at independence around the areas encompassing Kashgar, Yarkent, and Khotan. Again, I'm, there's a map... I will put it in there. You guys can look at all the beautiful cities. And it was attacked during the Kumul Rebellion by a Chinese Muslim army that was under General Ma Zhangkang and Ma Fuyan and fell following the Battle of Kashgar in 1934. The Soviets, so the USSR, basically. Uh, well, it's not the USSR because it's between World War I and World War II. But anyways, the Soviets backed Chinese warlord Xing Shikai's rule over East Turkestan and Xinjiang from 1934 to 1943. 
in April of 1937. Remnants of the first East Turkestan Republic launched an uprising known as the Islamic Rebellion in Jinjing, 1937 again, and briefly set up an independent government controlling areas from Atush, Kashgar, Yarkin, and even parts of Katan before it was crushed in October 1937 following, again, Soviet intervention. During that time, mostly Yurgers were purged in that area from 50,000 to 100,000 people, especially following that uprise. So again, there's a history in China, especially starting in the 20th century, when it comes to purging those that are very much so rebellious or against the status quo that China as a whole is trying to encompass. Again, China is huge. They have 55 minorities that are recognized. That's not even including people who have decided to immigrate there. So next we have the second East Turkestan Republic. You have this oppressive reign um, coming from China and is fueled by this discontent from Uyghurs and other Turkic Turkic people. So other Turkish people that are living in that region. And for whatever reason, China's like, yo, we're going to get rid of the Soviet advisors because the U.S. is going to give us support of the Republic of China. And they're like, hell yeah, U.S. support in the 40s. I mean, obviously it sounded legit at the time. So you then have very upset Soviets who were like, oh, hell no. And basically them being pushed out of China led to them capitalizing off of the Uyghur and other people's discontent in that region. And they supported another rebellion in October of 1944. This rebellion resulted in the establishment of the second East Turkestan Republic on November 12th of 1944. However, in the summer of 1949, so not even five whole years later, the Soviets purged the top 30 leaders of the Second East Turkestan Republic, and its top five officials died in a mysterious plane crash in August of 1949. And then on October 13th of 1949, the People's Liberation Army entered the region, and the East Turkestan National Army was merged into the People's Liberation Army's 5th Army Corps, leading to the official end of the Second East Turkestan Republic on December 22nd, 1949. So right before that, and like literally like two months before in October, Mao declared the founding of the People's Republic of China. And on October 1st, 1949, he turned the Second East Turkestan Republic into the Lila Kazakh Autonomous Prefecture. And the Xinjiang conflict is an ongoing separatist conflict in China's far west province of Xinjiang, where northern region is known as Dzergara, and whose southern region, I'm sorry, we know, I just can't. And that southern region, which is the Tarim Basin we talked about earlier, is known as East Turkestan. Yurgur separatists and independence movements claim that the second East Turkestan Republic was illegally incorporated by China in 1949 and has since been under Chinese occupation. Uyghur identity remains fragmented as some support a pan-Islamic vision exemplified by the East Turkestan Islamic movement, while others support a pan-Turkic vision such as the East Turkestan Liberation Organization. Third group would like an East Turkestan state, such as the East Turkestan independence movement. So basically, they are also not on the same page. Because the Uyghurs are not on the same page, it's going to be very hard to get rid of the Chinese from that area and let them have their own sovereign identity and also be able to rule themselves. Also, there was a historian that wrote, and I quote, Authorities have censored Uyghur writers and lavished funds on official histories that depict Chinese territorial expansion into ethnic borderlands as quote, unifications, never as conquests or annexations. So let's go ahead and speed up to the 21st century, Buck Rogers in the 21st century over here. So since 2014, 
the Uyghurs in Xinjiang have been affected by extensive control and restrictions which the Chinese government has imposed upon their religious, cultural, economic, and social lives. The Chinese government has expanded police surveillance because they want to watch for these signs of religious extremism, and that can even include owning books. And it doesn't just apply to the Uyghur region itself. Anyone in China can be surveillanced the minute they say that they partake in religious activities. Literally, Article 36 of the Chinese Constitution says the citizens, quote, enjoy freedom of religious belief. It bans discrimination based on religion and forbids state organs, public organizations, or individuals from compelling citizens to believe in or not believe in any particular faith. Which sounds amazing. Like, that sounds like what we would technically have had if the founding fathers got their way when it came to freedom of religion, except like at the same time it didn't. So, you know, that's a whole nother thing. However, um, the Chinese state council, which is the government's administrative authority, has passed regulations on religious affairs, which took effect in February of 2018. And it allowed state registered religious organizations to possess property, publish literature, train and approve clergy and collect donations, which is great because... They weren't able to do that for so long. So you you basically were practicing your religion under the radar, hoping to not get caught, to not get put into some sort of re-education camp. So these revised rules include restrictions on those religious schooling and the times and locations of religious celebrations that you can have. And it also monitors online religious activity and that you have to report donations that exceed about 16,000 US dollars. Well, the Human Rights Watch has been looking into China for multiple times. They've even come out with multiple reports that talk about, you know, their freedom of regulation, obviously violating human rights. And so the Human Rights Watch's China director, Sophie Richardson, and I'm quoting a little from a article that was written about this, says that while religious belief in China is protected by the Constitution, the measures quote, do not guarantee the right to practice or worship, and religious practices are limited to normal religious activities. However, the term normal isn't really being defined, and it can be broadly interpreted. What is normal to one person is not going to be normal to another. If you're an American, it doesn't always seem normal when people fast for holidays. We don't necessarily fast. We give up things for Lent, which may seem weird to other religions as well. So what is normal to one religion is not going to be normal to another. Also, China recognizes five religions, which I think is fun to talk about because obviously we have Buddhism. You have Catholicism, which is Christianity. However, you are either Catholic or you're a Protestant. And so Protestants are the third. You have Taoism. And last but not least, they do recognize Islam. If you try to practice any other religion, it is formally prohibited, although it is somewhat tolerated for the most part especially if it's a traditional Chinese belief. If you happen to be a religious organization, you have to register in one of those state-sanctioned patriotic religious associations, which are supervised by the State Administration for Religious Affairs, which for a country that is, you know, you are free from not being forced to believe in religious things, to have a religion registered and have a whole government thing to it seems a little uh, special. So if you decide that you are going to be religious while in China, you have to declare it. And because of that, the government has a tally of registered religious believers. So out of China, people that have registered saying that they are religious is about 200 million, which is about less than 10% of the population from the 2010 census. Looking at some other reports say that China is way more religious than it's letting on to be, especially going forward now into the 21st century. And people just aren't 
declaring that they're religious and that it is steadily increasing throughout the years. And for the most part, these religious groups are primarily made of Chinese Buddhists. Then there's the Protestants, Muslims, Catholics, and those Tibetan Buddhists. However, many people that do believe in religion are not following organized religion are said to practice traditional folk religion. And there are also members of underground house churches and banned religious groups, and they account for many of the unregistered believers. So according to China, about almost 32% of their population is agnostic, while almost 31% believes in Chinese folk religion. 16.6, so almost 17% is Buddhist, 7.5% is Christian, almost 7% is atheist, 4.2 is about ethnic religionist. 1.8% is Muslim. Not even half a percent is Taoist. And then 0.2% is other. One of the reasons that China has their religious organization register is so that they can prevent activities that would disrupt public order, impair the health of citizens, or interfere with the educational system of the state. Because China wants everyone to love China and put China first, as opposed to saying that you are doing things for God or whomever your God may be. And again, this is also stipulated in the Chinese constitution. But recently, through different studies, uh, monitoring and crackdowns often target peaceful activities that are protected under international law, which human rights watchdogs have definitely advocated and blown those dog whistles about. So under the current Chinese president, religious groups have been swept into a broader tightening of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, control over civil society and increasingly anti-Western ideology. Under this current rule, the CCP has pushed to sinicize religion or shape all religions to conform to the doctrines of the official atheist party and the customs of the majority Han Chinese population. Remember how we talked about the Han Chinese very briefly? You just got to remember, China mostly focuses their majority on the Han dynasty descendants. Keep that in the back of your noggin for later when we talk about other Muslim populations in China. So under some of these new guidelines, especially starting in 2020, where we see a lot of anger come out at the beginning of 2020, um, religious groups had to accept and spread the Communist Chinese Party ideology and values, and any faith organization had to get approval from the government religious affairs office before they could even conduct any sort of activities whether that be worship, holding, I would say, probably even, you know, our version of Bible vacation or vacation Bible school. Also, if you haven't figured it out by now, China is home to one of the largest populations of religious prisoners, likely numbering in the tens of thousands. While they are in custody, it has been noted that some are tortured or killed. And this is being reported by human rights groups. The U.S. State Department has designated China as a country of particular concern over religious freedom annually since 1999 because of these detentions and violence that are carried out with impunity. If you happen to be part of the CCP party, it does prohibit um, any of its 90 million party members from holding any religious beliefs. The minute they find out that you have religious beliefs, you're kicked out of the party because in their mind, religious beliefs are incompatible with the ideology of the party, and they then discourage families or family members of those in the CCP from publicly participating in religious ceremonies. And while it's not always going to be strictly enforced, which we know there's always loopholes, the party periodically takes steps to draw a clearer line on religion. My new favorite word or my new favorite phrase that I have learned from this is the party's official newspaper warned that putting faith in religion 
is the same as spiritual anesthesia. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful phrase. Do you have spiritual anesthesia? I was about to say Anastasia. Obviously, it's over here thinking about the Soviets and the pre-Soviet time in Russia with the czars. Anyways, and it's not just the Uyghurs and Muslims in that region that have faced extensive, I wouldn't even call it persecution or hate, but what, however you want to classify what China does to those that are very much so in their fields about their religion, you have the Tibetan Buddhists. They literally had a child disappear that was believed to be a reincarnation of someone that was very high up. I mean, the Dalai Lama is exiled into India because um, his support for Tibetan autonomy. Let me back up because I love to equate things with pop culture. If you've seen Veep, you know, Selena Myers over here saying, we'll let you have Tibet to China because again, she wanted to be president, do anything she could. You have to understand that China very much so in the eyes of the world, they have to pretend to play nice when it comes to places that they've just kind of annexed. So in that Tibetan region, there are definitely economic disparities that are happening between Tibetans and the Han Chinese members that have like moved to that or migrated to Tibet. And it's basically a campaign by China to modernize its Western regions. This is going to come into effect with the Uyghurs because they did the same exact thing. And you have these disparities, you have issues that are caused by the fact that those that are of Han Chinese descent are favored for jobs, are favored for management positions, things that we would basically say, hey, that's not right and go to HR about in the US. It's almost favored, like favored upon over in China to make sure that you are of Han descent to be in charge of things. So to quell the descent that is in the Tibetan region, basically they do not allow religious activity um, in Tibet and Tibetan communities outside of the autonomous region. The state monitors daily operations of major monasteries with facial recognition cameras posted outside, and it reserves the right to disapprove an individual's application to take up religious orders. So as I briefly mentioned, now I'm actually going to give you the facts. The Tibetan child that was believed to be a reincarnated high-ranking religious leader of Buddhist faith known as the Panchen Lama disappeared in 1995. Quote-unquote, disappeared. It has not been seen since. However, Beijing claims that he graduated from college, has a job, and does not want to be disturbed. Because of this, the government was like, hey, we're going to designate another child to be the official Panchen Lama. And though many Tibetans do not accept him as such. So if you're a Buddhist, you have to denounce the Dalai Lama. And if you don't, you may be detained and tortured for refusing to do so. And other people that just follow the faith have been ordered to replace photos of the Dalai Lama with Chinese leaders in their own homes. Well, now that we've talked about Buddhists and the fact that China has constantly always had issues when it comes to religion, let's go ahead and talk about the Uyghurs. So the Uyghurs are not the only Muslims in the country. There is one other predominantly Muslim ethnic group and is called the Hue, which is an ethnic group closely related to the majority Han population. Remember to keep that in your head. They are also in another Western province, which is China's Ningxi autonomous region. But as currently in that Xinjiang region, 11 million Uyghurs live there and they make up approximately half of that population. Just in that region alone, the religious activity has been tightly controlled. However, Muslims in other parts of the country have typically enjoyed greater religious freedoms for decades, because I don't remember if you just remember what I said like a few minutes ago about the early 20th century, China has cracked down on Uyghurs, 
claiming the community holds extremist and separatist ideas. Because again, those that are Uyghur nationalists believe that China invaded and did not properly take over the country in 1949. The Chinese government points to occasional outbursts of violence against government workers and civilians in the region and have blamed the East Turkestan Islamic Movement, a separatist group founded by militant Uyghurs, we talked about it earlier, for several terrorist attacks throughout China. Most historians, as well as those that are experts in this field, say that Uyghurs do not actually support that violence, and they've just been frustrated by frequent discrimination and the influx of Han Chinese to the region as they disproportionately benefit from economic opportunities. Since 2017, the repression has intensified. Up to 2 million Muslims, again, most of them are Uyghurs, have been arbitrarily detained in so-called re-education camps, according to experts and foreign government officials. This is not according to China, as we know. Detainees have reported being tortured, sexually abused, which includes being forced sterilized, barred from practicing the religion, and forced to pledge loyalty to the Chinese Communist Party. Many children of those that are detained are placed in boarding schools. And in these boarding schools, they are forced to study Mandarin instead of their own language that they would use, as well as being indoctrinated into the Chinese Communist Party. And outside of these detention centers, Uyghurs are subjected to intense surveillance, widespread religious restrictions, and, as I already mentioned, forced sterilization, which is horrible. The fact that there are women who are like, you know, I wanted another child. They were then taxed immensely, having to pay fines. And then the Chinese government was like, we're just going to sterilize you. So against your own will, here's the thing. Here's the kicker. A lot of governments do this, especially to populations they want to control. America does it. You just got to know where to look for these things. I have already talked about forced sterilization when it came to those that they deem to be imbeciles. And the fact that the government can just decide to sterilize those, we did it in Puerto Rico. So until there's a day where someone is forced sterilized and goes against the Supreme Court and hopefully gets that court case turned over, still technically allowed to happen in the U.S. So these camps that China has imposed for a lot of these um, Muslim Uyghurs, they say that it's basically to help them with vocational skills, prevent citizens from being influenced by extremist ideas, teach them Chinese laws, as well as Mandarin, and just make them better citizens. And I would believe them if they allowed foreigners to actually go into that area and travel freely, but they don't. And because they don't, well, hot damn, what do you expect? A lot of experts have called what China is doing in the region of Xinjiang is demographic genocide. Because they're looking at a demographic of individuals, they are sterilizing them. They are making them have abortions. They are giving them IUDs. You can't, like, you can stop taking birth control pills. But to have something that is forcibly inside you, as a woman, you should be able to make those decisions, whether you want or don't want children. And if you do happen to have more children than what the Chinese government feels that you personally can have, then you can pay huge fines. And police will raid homes, terrifying parents as they search for hidden children. And that boggles my mind. This reminds me of a lot of the shenanigans. I say shenanigans lightly. That's that's as good as it's going to be. That the U.S. itself did when it came to the Native American population or the indigenous people of America. Canada did the same thing. We had boarding schools. And I promise I will talk more about it because that means I get to talk more about Jim Thorpe, whom we all know is the greatest athlete of all time. That make him like the gout as opposed to the goat? Anyway, doesn't matter. Greatest athlete of all time, Jim Thorpe. Definitely not what I'm talking about here. 
So I've told you some stuff about the fact that Uyghurs really shouldn't be controlled by China. And it's a horrible situation going on. I will link different things for you to read. Because again, it's not that they're attacking just religion. They're not attacking them or putting them in camps or sterilizing them, making them have abortions, giving them IUD, cutting the birth rate of Uyghurs because they are Muslim. They are doing it because they are Uyghurs. Their area that they occupy has quite a bit of resources that obviously would be useful for China in its manufacturing instances, as well as basically using forced labor camps, which they are calling vocational training and re-education centers um, for those of Uyghur descent. But we know that there are other Muslims and other religious entities in China or religious other religious organizations and other people who practice different religions, not just those that are Muslim that are not only persecuted like the Buddhists, but they are also are allowed to go free. And it's all because of the fact that they are more like the Han dynasty. It's a little racist. And when I say little, I mean a lot. And the fact that China refuses to allow minorities the ability to have their own government and be able to be like, look, we want to govern ourselves. We want to be our own country and be on our own. China gets to sit at the table for the UN. It's very hard to have any sort of human rights conversations about China because they are able to veto things. So what can you do? You can raise awareness of this. There's a very good possibility that things that are made in China are being made by forced labor of Uyghurs that have been put into these re-education camps. They're not just being like, you know, clockwork orange style put in front of a TV. They are literally being forced to work and they are working the Muslim out of them. Even when they are not in re-education camps, there's been instances where children that are going to, or I would call them children, where those that are going to college or even high school during times where they are supposed to fast, their teachers, those school administrators force them to not only eat, but to eat pork. They're not like you're Muslim. You're not supposed to eat pork, especially when you are fasting, especially during like Ramadan. So obviously it's, it's not okay. That is your religious, you know, belief. So again, China tries to say that it is against forcing religion on anyone and letting you force religion on anyone, but they are regulating it so much and trying to make everyone assimilate to be the same without taking into account that they have all of these ethnic minorities that don't just have different religious ideology, but they grew up differently, different cultural beliefs. They are not being represented by their government. And their government is not giving them the ability to represent themselves because you have to be a part of the Chinese Communist Party. So what can you do? You can raise awareness by telling more about it. I'm going to give you things to read. You can read more about the Uyghurs. So this was heavy. I don't feel that I was probably the best at going over all of this. And I apologize. But I really, really do believe it is important to know about the fact that we have so many human rights being violated on a continual basis in this world. And it's happening right under our noses. And we're just not bringing them to light. And we're allowing people, in some sense, to profit off of it whether it's large corporations that are using those Uyghur camps to make products. Anyways, I feel like that's uh, a rabbit up for me on this episode of But Have You Heard About? So again, this was Courtney. I hope you learned some something today. With that, I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day, whatever you may be doing. And hopefully I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye! (laughs)